Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Today, we continue this journey looking at the powerful promises of God. And the promises of God are different than the promises that uh, we sometimes make or receive. The story of a uh, brother and a sister who uh, went to spend a few weeks with their grandparents. Their grandparents lived on a farm. They had a main house, and at the bottom of the hill, they had a barn. The brother and sister uh, loved to roam through that barn, and and, uh, in the barn were uh, stacks of hay, and they loved to climb up the stacks of hay. They loved to go into the loft of the barn and uh, just see everything that was there. It was a delightful place. They were up in the loft when the older sister uh, was standing there, and she thought to herself, I have a great idea. She told her brother, um, uh, brother, little brother, I want you to just stay right here. I need to go get something up at the house, and I'll be right back. But when I get back, we're going to have a great time. I have this great plan. And, and so the little brother trusted what his older sister had to say, and he said, all right. And uh, older sister went up to the house, came back carrying an umbrella. And she climbed up into the loft next to her little brother, and she said, she opened the umbrella, and she said, now, little brother, here's what's going to happen. It's a great idea. It's going to be so much fun. You take this umbrella, and you jump off the loft, and I promise you, I promise you that you will float softly to the ground. A little brother's looking at her, and even as, as a little boy, he understood something wasn't hardly right. He said, he said, sis, are you sure about this? Why don't you go first? And the big sis said, oh, no, 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 I'm too old. I'm too big. It, it won't work for me, but it could work for you. It's going to work for you. I promise. I've looked at it. It's going to work just fine. All you have to do is trust me and jump off with the umbrella held high, hold tight to the umbrella, and you will float softly to the ground. And the little brother believed the promise that his sister had to say, and he jumped. And he didn't float. And he went kerplot. Uh, Thankfully, uh, at the bottom was a, uh, a bunch of hay, and he didn't hurt himself too badly. had some scrapes and stuff on his knee, but The promise his sister made, she didn't deliver on. The way many of us look at promises, even when we hear the idea of a promise, we think, oh, it's going to be the kind of promise that the big sister gave to the little brother. It it, it sounds fine, but it's, it's not real. I can't depend upon it. Your, your history is littered with, um, a trail of broken promises And so today, when you hear about powerful promises, you think, yeah, I've heard stuff like this before. My prayer is that today, as you listen to the powerful promises, I want you to hear that they're not from me to you. They're they're not my good ideas that I want you to pursue. These are promises that God makes and delivers to you. 
And when God makes a promise, he keeps his promise. From Genesis to Revelation, we hear the story of God making promises and keeping promises. One of the characteristics of who God is, is that he is faithful. And you might say, well, he might promise something, but if I don't keep all the uh, standards that he's uh, demanded, then I'm not going to receive what he's promised. And I would say to you that the Bible tells us that God is faithful to his promise even when we are unfaithful to him. God keeps his promise. Well, one of the reasons the promises that we read about in Ephesians chapter 1 are so powerful is because they're so certain. These are truths by which we can live our lives each day. That's why Paul could begin, even though he was in prison in Ephesians 1, he could begin swirling in the stench of a prison cell, surrounded by the sounds of clinking chains his own in his ears, facing the uncertainty of life and the threat of death, he could begin his letter and say, blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What we saw last week as we looked at verses 1 through 6 of Ephesians 1, we saw that God makes these powerful promises, the spiritual blessings from the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that powerful promise is that we who want strangers to the family of God can be adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. If you remember last week, I shared that the world is divided into one of two categories. You are in one of two categories. You're either a stranger to the family of God or you're a son or daughter of God. And right now in this room, you are either a son or a daughter. You're part of God's family or you're a stranger to the covenant of promise. You might say, what makes the difference? What makes the difference is that God has adopted you or he hasn't adopted you. What makes the difference is that you in your heart of hearts, have been awakened to your need for God. You see that he is holy and righteous and that you are a sinner and your sin has separated you from God. And God, by his spirit, has drawn you and opened your eyes and showed you Jesus is the antidote for your sin problem. Jesus died for your sin upon a cross and he was raised from the dead to give you new life. And through his death, you find forgiveness. Through his resurrection, you find life. And everything can change. And you saw that. And you recognized, this is my deep need. I need God. And Jesus is my only way to God. And so, drawn by the Spirit of God, you repented your sin and you trusted in Jesus. And in this supernatural act of spiritual blessing... God who chose you before the world began drew you into his family. And he said, now you're mine. And he adopted you because of your faith in Christ. By his great grace, he brought you into his family and you became a son. You became a daughter. And if you haven't experienced that, then you're a stranger to God. You're a stranger to the promises of God. You're living your life incomplete. You're, you're, you're not walking in 
the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places, but rather you're walking a path that is cursed by your sin. You're not part of God's family. Ephesians 2 says you're part of a different family. That family is ruled by the devil himself. The whole world is divided into these two categories, either part of his family or not part of his family. And just because you showed up here at church doesn't make you part of his family. Just because you sing songs doesn't make you part of his family. Just because so you, you say liturgy or, or, or words or, or, or uh, uh, any acts of religious devotion, that doesn't make you part of his family. The only thing that can make you part of his family is if you repent your sin, place your trust in Jesus, and by the Spirit of God, he awakens you and he draws you to himself. It's a glorious thing. It's a wonderful thing. And I pray that it is your thing. Jesus longs for you to be part of his family. And that's why he died for your sin on a cross. So what I'm about to say, as we look in verses 7 through 12, what I'm about to share, just as I shared last week, the promises that we find in this passage belong to those who are part of God's family. If you're not yet part of God's family, my prayer for you is that before this day is over, that you might repent your sin and place your trust in Jesus And that you might become part of God's family, drawn to him by his grace. If you're a son or a daughter of God, I invite you to open open God's word and listen to the promise of beginning in verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. In him, in whom? Who's the him in verse 7? Say it loud. Say it like you mean it. In him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. His grace, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, so that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, all things in him. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to, his, uh, to the counsel of his will, so that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In these verses, last week we saw that the powerful promise that God makes is that we're adopted in Christ. We are adopted into his family today. In these few verses, I want us to see that God makes a promise to forgive our past, present, and future, to fill our present with wisdom, and to secure our future with hope. Our past is forgiven. Our present is filled with his wisdom, and our future is secured by his hope. The first promise I want us to unpack is found in verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. In Christ, we are forgiven. In Christ, we are forgiven. In him. In who? In Christ. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Redemption is a noun that uh, the Greek term is apolotrusis. And it means, it's a term that uh, described what happened in the first century when someone purchased a slave and set them free. That's the term. It's a term to describe 
the setting free of a slave. Somebody paid a price for a slave to be off the slave selling block. Redemption, as Paul uses it here, describes how that we were once slaves to sin. And God has paid the price for us to be set free. Forgiveness is being set free from sin's power and its, condemn, and its condemnation. The price that God paid was the blood of Jesus Christ through his blood. The blood of Christ. Jesus dying on a cross for sinners was the price tag for your freedom. The result was forgiveness. Forgiveness of sin. Literally, it means sending sin away. The reason God did all this was because he has a lot of grace that he wants to give. He wants to pour out his favor so that we might be set free and so that we might be forgiven. Think of it this way. Before you met Jesus, you were a slave to sin. And your certificate of slavery was written by the rebellion of your soul against a holy God. But God in his grace, because of his great love of which he loves you and me, even when we were slaves to sin, God sent Jesus to set us free. And a new certificate was written. That certificate of our freedom was written in the eternal ink of Christ's blood. And because it's written in eternal ink of Christ's blood, and it has your name on it, there's nothing you can do to abolish the certificate of freedom and forgiveness that God offers you through his grace. You might say, I've been bad. Yes, you have. Don't even need to argue with you. You know what? I've been bad too. But in Christ, we're forgiven. Not based upon what we do, not based upon how well we do. We are forgiven because Jesus died for our sin. You might say, well, I don't know how good I'm going to be today. Can I give you an answer? You're going to be bad. And some of you might bristle a little bit at me saying you're going to be bad. Can I tell you that any sin of thought or deed or action that you commit against a holy God is bad? You might say, well, you, my sin is slight. No, not in the sight of God. Your sin, like mine, is a black mark that carries the burden of defeat, that besmirches the character of God. My sin is bad, no matter how slight I might think it. How bad are you going to be today? You're going to be bad. But you're also forgiven. You're forgiven. 
Even in spite of the sin you do today, you are forgiven, not based upon your goodness, not based upon your works of righteousness, based solely upon Jesus writing in the ink of his blood, forgiven and set free. Tomorrow, you know how you're going to be? You're going to be bad. But no matter how bad, if you're a son or a daughter of the living God through faith in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven in Christ. And that forgiveness is not dependent upon your goodness or badness. It's dependent only upon the sacrifice of Christ. 1 Peter 3 tells us that Christ suffered once on account of sin, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. His death on the cross, the shedding of his blood, is sufficient payment once for all for your sin and mine. I got good news, a promise. In Christ, you're forgiven. Only in Christ are you forgiven. Only in Christ are you forgiven. You're not forgiven because you say a bunch of Hail Marys. You're not forgiven because you go to a confession booth. You're not forgiven because uh, you do acts of contrition. You're not forgiven because uh, you uh, come and sit in a church pew. You're not forgiven because you get dunked in a tub. You're not forgiven because of anything that you do. You are forgiven because God in his grace wrote your name in ink of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And he said, you're my son, you're my daughter, and you received that forgiveness by faith. We are forgiven. Now hold on to that. Do you know what a powerful promise it is that we are forgiven? You think about your human relationships. Most powerful words. That I can hear on this earth. It's when my precious wife says to me, Eric, I forgive you. You know what that's like, don't you? I forgive you. Those are life-giving words. Oh, so much more. The King of glory, the God of heaven, looking upon you and the worst of you and saying, even while you're yet a sinner, Christ died for you. I forgive you. In Christ, we are forgiven. Second promise that we see in this passage. In Christ, we are wise. Uh, again, I want to kind of classify this. Uh, wisdom comes to us from God through Christ, according to his grace. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, Paul writes, he's talking about grace of verse 7. Grace which he made abound. The term abound is the Greek term perisuo. It means to overflow. It's what happens when you pour an uh, iced tea in a, in, in a glass and 
and you look away at how the Cowboys are beating the Green Bay Packers for a moment and, and you're pouring that glass and that glass begins to overflow and spill out on the counter and, 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 and that's overflowing, perisuo. He's talking about grace that is abounding, that is lavished upon us. And God gives his grace, not in small doses, but more than we could ever imagine, his grace overflows toward us. It's a grace that forgives our sin. It's a grace that makes us right in his sight through the death of Christ and his resurrection. It is grace that does more than just set us free and forgive us. It's also grace that makes us wise. He says... Verse 8, which he, grace which he made abound toward us with all wisdom and insight, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself so that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. All right, so let me break this apart. Lots of words. Let me kind of break it apart. The grace that God gives us that brings us into his family is the grace that he gives us to make us wise. Wisdom is getting to the heart of a matter. Insight or prudence, insight is the outworking of wisdom. It's the practical living out of the wisdom that we've received. Uh, An example, Uh, I know how to tie flies for fly fishing. I've studied it. I know the colors and the shapes and the sizes to use. I know which flies to use. Uh, When I say flies, I'm talking about little lures that I make for fly fishing. I know the size of the flies, the shape, the colors, the texture of those flies to use in a particular stream at a particular time of year. I know this. I've gotten to the heart of it. I've read up on it. I've I've got it down. I've got wisdom. Insight is taking that fly, going to the stream, casting the fly in the water and catching a fish. That's insight, which I do quite well, if I do say so myself. Somebody might say, are you you a good fisherman? I am a great fisherman in my own sight. Anyway, (laughs) I I have wisdom and I have insight. God in his grace has given you wisdom, the heart of it. And what is the the wisdom that he gives us? It's the mystery of his will, verse verse 9. He's 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 open to us the mystery of his will. What is this mystery of his will? What's he talking about here? He's talking about his plan to bring salvation to sinners like you and me. Whether Jewish or Gentile, he said there is a, a, a program that God has plan from the beginning of time where he would unwrap that program and he would lead the children of Israel as well as Gentiles into a place where they would enter into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. The mystery of his will was a mystery before Jesus came. When Jesus came, the mystery was unveiled to those who would believe and trust in Jesus. 
the mystery of his will is how can a Gentile and a non uh, how can a Gentile and a Jewish person be part of the same family? And the answer is in Christ Jesus, and only in Christ Jesus. How can a Jewish person and a Gentile person um, uh, be part of God's family? Only in Christ Jesus. That's the mystery of his will. The big picture for you and me is that God in his grace has unraveled how that you and I might know the why of our lives. And that is in Christ Jesus. The insight he offers is how we live based upon Jesus being the centerpiece of our life. That in the fullness of the dispensation of times, he might bring together in Christ all things to himself. Oh, what does that mean? It means that the goal, the destiny of humanity is found and centered on Jesus Christ. It is not a small thing to say, Jesus Christ is my life. It is the must thing to say. Jesus is my life. He's everything to me. More important than money, more important than possessions, more important than any other earthly relationship. Jesus is my life. That's what wisdom teaches us. Wisdom teaches us that I am nothing without Jesus. I'm lost without Jesus. I'm incomplete without Jesus. The mystery of God's will is that now I can be a son or a daughter of God through Jesus Christ. And that's everything. Jesus is my life. That's wisdom. Insight is how do I live now that I have the wisdom that Jesus is my life? How do I live faithfully and fully as a follower of Jesus Christ? Today, friends, I want to share with you that if you're a son or a daughter of God through faith in Christ, he's given you the wisdom to understand that Jesus is your life. Now live up to it. And every day through his word and by his spirit, he opens your eyes and opens your heart to understand how to live up to Jesus being your life. How to adjust your priorities and your passions, your affections and your desires. How to adjust by the power of the Holy Spirit um, the things you do, the things you say, where you go, what you think. Everything changes with Jesus at the center. He is my life. Today, friends, I want to challenge you. And uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to begin a series of messages from Psalm 119. 22 weeks we're going to spend on Psalm 119. I can't wait. It's so exciting. You're like, oh my goodness, we're going to spend 22 weeks on Psalm 119. Yes, we are, and you're going to love it. (laughs) Because Psalm 119 gives us the ABCs of living up to the Christian life. Uh, Psalm 119 helps us understand what it means to become more like Jesus. It helps us understand how to navigate the days, the ups, the downs, the twists, the turns, so that we become more like Jesus. Some of us need to get back into the harness of committing ourselves to be more like Jesus. We've become so, so comfortable with our status quo of just being, I'm a good religious person. I show up here. I sing songs. I'm part of a choir. I'm part of a Bible study. I can do this. I can do that. That's all I need. Baloney. 
Every day is a journey of becoming more like Jesus, of living up to who God has saved you to be. Are you living that life? And if you're not, why not? Jesus has given us wisdom by God's grace to understand he is my, he is my life. So now every day he gives me the wisdom, the insight I need to live up to Jesus being my life. Are you living up to the wisdom God has given you? Today I want to challenge you. I, 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 I just want to I straight up challenge you. If you're a son or a daughter of God and you, haven't, you have not adjusted your life in any shape, form, or fashion according to the will of Jesus Christ and you're walking around chained to confusion because of circumstances that you're facing and you want out of the confusion of the circumstances that you're facing, the first step is to say, Jesus is my life. I'm going to adjust everything for him. I'm going to give up everything for him. That's where you begin. And when we live according to the wisdom that Jesus is my life, and we commit ourselves, empowered by the Spirit of God. Two weeks from now, we're going to look at how the Spirit of God empowers us to, uh, uh, to live up to uh, the wisdom that we've been given and the insight that we know. Empowered by the Spirit of God, today I'm going to adjust who I am, what I'm doing, where I'm going, what I'm saying, what I'm thinking. I'm going to adjust everything to reflect that Jesus is my life. And by the way, if, Jesus, if God is going to make known to you the mystery of his will, the big picture of his plan to bring rescue to sinners like you and me and bring us into his family, if he's going to make known the mystery of his will, make no mistake, he's also going to help you untangle the knots of confusing circumstances when we give him our everything. In Christ. We are wise. In Christ, we are forgiven. And finally, in Christ, we have hope. It, it, you know, I, I understand that our past is forgiven, our present is filled with wisdom, but what about our tomorrow? Hope is a commodity in short supply in our world today. You look at the landscape of life and the prominence of news and newscasts and all the things that seem to threaten hope. And you say, how can you have hope in today's world? I'll tell you how you can have hope in today's world. In Christ. Verse 11 and 12. In him, we also have obtained an inheritance. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of, of his will. We have obtained an inheritance. Uh, in the ancient world as well as in today's world, if you were to say God wants uh, or I, I want to adopt a, a child. And you go and you go to the adoption agency or you work through some uh, uh, organization and uh, you adopt a child. Legally, what happened in the ancient world as well as what happens today, that child that is adopted immediately when they are adopted, their ties to their bio biological parents are severed. No more inheritance 
from biological parents. Their ties to their adoptive parents becomes the rule. So that the inheritance comes to the adopted parents, not the biological parents. Here's what Paul said. He's saying, in Christ, you've been adopted out of the sin family. The inheritance of your sin family is devastation, death, and despair. But in Christ, you have been adopted out of that sin family, and God has called you his portion. You become his inheritance, his heritage, his portion, his lot. He says, all I have belongs to you. You're my son. You're my daughter. So that everything that you inherited from your sin family is severed completely. And now you have a new family and a new inheritance. And that inheritance is a life of flourishing. It's a life of hope because it's a life in God's family. Completely obliterating the sin family and now embracing the family of God. Everything changes. And even in the landscape of today's world, everything changes. The reason we have hope is not because we've done good. Not because we'll do good. Not because uh, we're, we're better than we used to be. All those things are admirable and fine and dandy and great. The reason we have an inheritance that gives us hope is because God has guaranteed it. He predestined it before time began, writ in the eternal ink of Christ's blood. He said, you're my son, you're my daughter. Now, everything I have, no matter how you behave from this point forward, everything I have belongs to you. And nothing can remove the inheritance of hope that God offers. It is secured by God himself. So are you living in that hope that he's given you? <laughs> Again, the key is for us to see Jesus as everything in our life. When we live up to the wisdom that we have that Jesus is life, we've been forgiven. We've been adopted as sons and daughters. So now we are living in the center of our, with Jesus at the center, the lordship of our life. And living out of that lordship now, no matter the landscape of our circumstance, no matter the landscape of cultural ideas or ideals that come against us, no matter the hostility of friends or neighbors or enemies, no matter what happens, even if we're like Paul sitting in a prison cell, we have hope. Why? Because I belong to God. I am his. And all he has is mine. I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have hope. So live in the hope that God gives. Ultimately, finally, the why of our life is found in verse 12. Because we've been adopted, because we've been forgiven, because we've been made wise, because we have hope, here's what we're supposed to do. That we who first trusted in him should be to the praise of the glory 
of his grace. If you're a son or a daughter of God and you're living in the woe is me-isms all day, all night, throughout the days of your days and nights of your nights, you are not living up to what God has called you to be. What are you supposed to be doing? In the ups and the downs and the twists and the turns, you and I are supposed to be living to the praise of his glory. Our destiny, our calling, our duty as sons and daughters is to be so stirred by the goodness of God that wherever we go, we share that goodness with others. Oh, days are bad, but please understand, God is good, and he has called me his son. He has called me his daughter. And if you can be, uh, and you can taste that goodness if you become his son or his daughter. Oh, God is good. The world is terrible. Yeah, okay. I got you. But God is good. Today, friends, I want to challenge you. If you're a son or daughter of God, live up to that calling. Be stirred in your heart. Live according to the powerful promise. You are forgiven. You are wise. You have hope. Now share God's goodness with others. Would you bow your heads with me, please? This morning, I want to challenge you. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if you are a stranger to the promises of God because you are separated from God by sin and you have never trusted Jesus to be your, uh, the payment price for your sin and to give you a new life and a new heart, I challenge you to come today and um, uh, embrace Jesus by faith. I, I challenge you to... Call upon Jesus to be your rescuer, the one who sets you free from the slavery of death and sin. The Bible says that you can call upon Jesus when you, by faith, say to Jesus, I've sinned against God. You died for my sin upon a cross. You were raised from the dead to give me a new life. Oh, Jesus, will you forgive my sin once and for all? Will you bring me into God's family? And whether you're in the room or online and, and that is the desire of your heart, I, I want to challenge you to pray that prayer and call upon God to save you through faith in Christ. If we confess that Jesus is our Lord and we believe that God raised him from the dead to give us a new life, then the Bible says we can be saved. Today, will you move from a stranger to a son or a daughter. If that's the desire of your heart, I encourage you, if you're online, write down uh, uh, in the comment section, I, I, I want to become a son or a daughter of God. Or you can email at pastor at firstnorfolk.org. I want to become a son or a daughter. If you're in the room, go to the next step station after we sing the closing song and the final benediction and Say, I want to become a son or a daughter. We will help you on that journey. Today, I invite all the strangers in this room to be forgiven by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I beg you to choose Christ today. If you are a son and daughter already, then my prayer for us is that we would be so stirred in our heart that we would share the goodness of God with everyone we meet.
So now, Father, I pray that you would be glorified in the life that we live because you have given us that life through Christ. I pray that you'd be glorified in the song that we sing because it comes from a heart that is surrendered and committed to you. And I pray that you would be glorified as we go because we're committed to be for the praise of your glory. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.